And honestly, John, like when I, I've had, I've had two mothers now, well, one mother uh, with, with the morgue situation where her daughter was told there's no such thing as copper toxicity, uh, was on a copper IUD, killed herself. Um, and then the mother went to the morgue to collect the hair sample and the hair sample showed sky high copper. Now, mm. if, if the denial of copper toxicity uh, didn't exist and people were educated in this information, we could literally be saving lives. Hello and welcome to the Mineral Minded Podcast. Are you interested in learning more about vitamins, minerals, heavy metal detoxification, and natural health? We explore a range of topics that are related to mineral balancing science and hair tissue mineral analysis, including in-depth interviews, news, and commentary about the wonderful world of natural medicine. I'm your host, John Bumpus. Today on the Mineral Minded Podcast, we had an excellent conversation with Rick Fisher. Rick is a leading expert in hair tissue mineral analysis, copper toxicity, and mineral education. As founder of coppertoxic.com, together with supporting international research and his various educational materials on the topic, Rick's work over the past decade has advanced public and practitioner awareness of copper toxicity. He works as a clinical HTMA practitioner as well as an instructor. He is a passionate advocate for maintaining the integrity and authenticity of HTMA and is the co-founder of the HTMA Virtual Summit, which strives to provide excellence and leadership in HTMA-based health education. Rick is also the founder and teacher of the Mineral Mastery Program, a course designed to bring vital mineral-based health education to both practitioners as well as the general public. You can connect with Rick at mineralsandhealth.com or visit his teachings at mineralmastery.com and coppertoxic.com. Hey Rick, welcome to the Mineral Minded Podcast. Nice to have you here. Happy to be here, John. So I have seen you throughout the internet with all of your work on copper toxicity and hair tissue mineral analysis. Um, before we get into any real conversations, because I know that you're really keen to talk about copper, maybe you could just tell us a little bit about how you actually got into hair tissue mineral analysis, because everyone has a, a bit of a different story and how it came to them. Yeah, certainly. Um, I began this work back in 2013 after uh, a tragic uh, incident that happened to my fiance at that time uh, with copper toxicity uh, stemming in large part from her copper IUD and some other factors as well. And because of the denial of hair analysis uh, at that time by her doctor, she was led on a you know, a, a dangerous, dangerous path. And it, it destroyed our relationship, our family. And I just, my life uh, for several years, just into the research of uh, copper toxicity, which can only fully be understood when you look at copper in connection with other minerals. And in order to do that, you also need to, uh, utilize hair analysis because a blood test, and we can talk more about this if you want, but a blood test alone is not enough to fully grasp copper toxicity. 
And this is why hair analysis is so important. And unfortunately, it's, it's, it's a test that has been uh, attacked over and over again uh, over the decades, which has kept it off the radar of a lot of people uh, with tragic consequences. Wow. Yeah. So you come completely in that copper toxicity basis. Um, most people usually talk about their own health, but for you, it was someone in, that you're in a relationship with and you've seen the devastating effects that, that can have. Um, yeah, this was, this was an act of love that got me into this field. I mean, I have a nutrition background uh, to begin with and a health background, but I was never taught any of you know, these, these deep mineral concepts or hair analysis in my <laughs> training. Um, and just as I began my research and witnessing more and more the denial of copper toxicity, first of all, and the non-acceptance of HTMA uh, or the misuse of HTMA, and the vast numbers of people and women especially who were affected by copper toxicity, that just drove me further to really get this information out there. Oh, that's fantastic because, <laughs> uh, you know, as you said, the blood test is limited. And I think we should be clear because we both of us primarily practice with hair tissue mineral analysis that hair testing is limited as well. But um, yep. it's just understanding those limitations. And then if you can't see what you're looking for, maybe you should consider another test. And I think that's one reason why a lot of medical doctors have this veil of ignorance over them is because they kind of live in this, you know, blood rains. It's the, the ultimate test. And then they might do urine or something if they're looking for a kidney infection or something, but they, they overlook the simplicity of a hair test. And to be fair, I think it's because, and it, maybe it's a lot like when you went to nutrition school, I know it was when I went, um, I didn't really learn much about new minerals basically it was like oh they're important they're essential for health and then it goes calcium for bones magnesium for bones and atp and then you just kind of brush over it and then it's right. like oh, eat yeah. your kale and eat healthy and you know the very the fluffy stuff here's some food sources for all of it and right. now they have put a, a vegan twist on it all anyway but mm -hmm. um it's basically eat a balanced diet which is the same thing the medical doctor says and when it comes into practice, it doesn't always pan out that way. So I, I think hair tissue mineral analysis is a critical tool, but we need to understand that because it's been vilified throughout um, history and even to some degree, maybe there was a, um, a kind of uh, effort to destroy this whole perspective of hair testing that um, we definitely need to be mindful about when, you know, you and I incorporated into our practices to be a little bit more open about, um, you know, the limitations, but also like it's validity and, it, you know, keep hammering home that like, this isn't like a, you know, a bioenergetic test that one person might test you and another person might test you for the same thing and they come back complete opposites you know maybe you've had that experience with kinesiology where someone says you know mm -hmm. you need copper you need selenium and then when you do an actual hair test <laughs> it's like no you really don't right um and it's like 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 that hair scan that we see on the internet um and some people come to me and they go hey I got a hair test and they send me this report that was done through a machine. Um, do you have any experience with that? Oh, John, I have experience with pretty much all the different types of hair <laughs> out there. And there are a lot of them. And this, this adds to the confusion because, you know, people think that a hair analysis is all the same and it is anything, but there are 
not only many labs and and forms of hair analysis and not all are focused on you know what we're talking about here in terms of nutritional hair analysis um but yeah as you mentioned there's a biogenic uh, element to it where you place you know a hair follicle on a disc and it gets it beamed across the the ocean and magically uh, sends back uh, you know a, a beautiful report with results mm-hmm. the uh, I mean, I, I've received hair analyses, hair analyses from overseas, uh, where someone got their test done by the local lab, and uh, magnesium wasn't even included. Now, I mean, you and I both know that magnesium wow. is one of the most important minerals. So, how can you even do a mineral test and not even test for magnesium? It's shocking. Uh, and then I've seen others where, um, or or a lot where the practitioner or the lab is simply advising based on the the face value readings okay so if we use magnesium again as an example a magnesium bar can be high in the hair analysis same thing with zinc or possibly potassium or other levels as well and without proper training they will just say well your level of that mineral is high and therefore you should avoid it Uh, in some cases they'll say it's toxic you know, uh, avoid it at all costs. And they're not understanding that a lot of these situations where a hair level is elevated is being caused by intracellular loss. So this concept needs to be understood by any practitioner offering hair analysis. And I find that many practitioners are not trained in that very simple concept. There's also the ignorance to exogenous exposures. Uh, what I mean by that is if a person has had an Epsom salt bath, for example, and their hair contacted the Epsom salt bath water and their hair magnesium is high. Again, that should be, that should be a question that any practitioner asks of their patient if they see a high level. You know, is this a possible exposure source? What about well water? If certain levels show high, maybe manganese or iron show high. Don't just assume that it's a high level in the body. You know, ask (laughs) other exposures could this person have had to have created this high level. Can I just say something on that though? Jump in. So so, um, one thing with the, the contamination thing, and I think this is something we need to consider as well is it's not enough just to say, Oh, because it might be on the hair that you're, you know, have a burden of it or even a toxicity of it. But it's also something to consider that, especially in the case of iron and manganese and well water, that if you've been exposed to that for years and you've been washing your body, literally bathing in it, um, to some degree, it's where a contamination becomes an exposure because you've been, mm-hmm. you know, concerned. Mm-hmm. It's like copper. It's if it's Absolutely. in well water and you have acidic water, or even it doesn't even always have to be very acidic water. Um, it can still pick that up. And yes, it can be a contamination, but you're also being exposed to that. It's like if you're a welder and you get, or uh, a plumber or something, you get exposed to lead, um, and it's on the hair, and they didn't wash it okay, that's contaminant, but there's, you know, it's still a source as well. What could Absolutely. There is that transdermal absorption that does happen. So if you are bathing or showering in water that comes from your well, or in, you know, you're in a swimming pool every day that's using copper sulfate, 
your hair can show a very high level, but yes, there is that transdermal absorption that also happens. Yeah. Um, I just want to think it's important to talk on that now. So, so that would be a high level that comes from basically a, a contamination though. And you touched on this loss that you think uh, everybody should be, well, I think as well, everyone should be aware of what this loss is. Maybe you can just share that because, you know, people that listen to this podcast are likely they might be practitioners, but they might not be, and they might be working with someone that's, you know, reading every level as face value. Um, so do you want to just share about that a little bit? Certainly. So let me give you, uh, I'll, I'll use a very easy example. People understand calcium and magnesium for the most part, right? These are two minerals that you, you can go to any, any store and you'll often see the calcium magnesium bottle uh, you know, the, the formulation where those two minerals are kind of combined because those two nutrients need to be in balance. They have a relationship. So in a hair analysis, quite often we'll see a very high calcium level paired with a very high magnesium level. So what does that mean? Well, the high calcium level is representing tissue calcification. What happens in that process is calcium is leaving the bone where it needs to be entering the blood and ending up in soft tissue. Well, as a natural response, the body then pulls magnesium out of the cell to put magnesium into blood in effort to keep calcium in solution. You know, if you go back to basic, uh, you know, chemistry class in high school, uh, in solution basically means it's, it's soluble. So instead of having little calcium crystals uh, floating around in the blood. You know, we don't want that. The body protects itself by bringing magnesium into the blood to keep that calcium in solution. So you're losing magnesium from the cell where the magnesium needs to be. It's going into the blood. And then what is circulating gets picked up eventually by the hair follicle. As the, as the hair grows out, then it, pick, it shows up as that elevated magnesium level. And this is very common. Yeah. So um, this, this loss pattern needs to be understood. And also uh, even stress, stress alone can induce loss patterns, uh, especially with things like magnesium and zinc, for example, we lose those minerals under stress. Mm. So when a practitioner looks at a hair analysis and sees a high level, it's very important to be asking the questions, what is causing the high level, what's behind this level. And don't just automatically assume that it's a high level and the person doesn't need that nutrient. Yeah, that's fair. And I think with the stress and if zinc and magnesium and even B vitamins are like the first things to be, you know, utilized to stress. It's not always that like, Oh, stress depletes these nutrients. It does, but it's only because the body uses those nutrients in response to the stress. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. you know, when you do have stress and you find that zinc go up, it's probably because the body's utilizing it. And then it starts to get eliminated through the urine or something it can come from the sweat or some other place. Mm -hmm. And then um, zinc and magnesium are really interesting because both of those are synergistic with potassium. So you can likely still have a high potassium level or even a sodium level because sodium and potassium have that balance, right? Mm -hmm. um, so we see, at least in my practice, we see a lot of people that come in with um, you know, a calcium shell, but then they'll also have an elevated sodium and potassium. And, you know, I think on TI, they call it like a slow three or um, slow four pattern where 
they're not like the classical high calcium and magnesium and low sodium and potassium. They're more like a four high pattern. We would call it ARL or like a three highs or something. And those to me are really stress induced losses of patterns because or of minerals, because if you're a slow oxidizer, you shouldn't at least typically have a really high sodium or a really high potassium. We need to ask why. And we know sodium and potassium is correlated with the adrenal gland. The adrenal gland is what responds to that stressors, right? With aldosterone, cortisol, and um, adrenaline even. So, you know, we always got to be mindful of that. So I get a lot of um, clients that end up going to like a naturopath here in Australia. And then they'll go, oh, we did a hair test and we've already gone through an interpretation. And they say, oh, my naturopath said my sodium's high, so I need to avoid it. Uh, you know, I have too much potassium and all of this. So I got to stop eating, you know, so much fruit or something. <laughs> um, do you find that in your practice as well, Rick, where like people use that at, at face value and then make like a big claim, like, you know, just to avoid something where you shouldn't. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, what you're talking about there with the, uh, you know, the slow three or, um, or four highs pattern, that's typically a slow oxidizer under stress because as right. you know, you're under the surface, you're, you're still in an exhaustion state, but there's something causing uh, the adrenals to kick in and aldosterone to increase, raising the sodium level. And then with sodium, then potassium tends to rise as well. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's often a loss. I can, I can tell you that the vast majority of people have a deficiency of potassium. To think that anyone's potassium is, is perfect, you know, in a Trace elements test, TEI lab, um, the ideal is 10 milligrams percent. If we see a 10 milligram percent potassium, uh, I, in my opinion, it's unrealistic to think that that person has a perfect potassium level. It's, it's not realistic. In almost every case, that um, potassium is reflecting a loss to some degree. Most people, almost everyone, have, has a deficiency of potassium at the cellular level. So then if potassium is showing high, well, is it a loss? Is there something impairing potassium from getting to where it needs to be? And I see this, this is another misconception that I see quite often amongst practitioners um, where, you know, in one test, you'll have a potassium level at say two or three. And then the next test, the potassium goes up to eight or nine. And on the surface, that looks good. And the client feels happy because they see potassium going up into a good range and the, and the practitioner says that's an improvement. Well, it can be, but are you asking, is it, is that simply an increased loss happening? It's possible. I mean, yeah. I think that's the value of interpretation and then right. actually evaluating because right. another one comes is you can have people that live on coffee and cigarettes or, you know, whatever sodium and potassium razors that increase adrenal response. And they might come back and they might have a diet completely deficient of potassium, but still have a good <laughs> level of potassium on the hair test. So um, with me, I'm always suggesting that my clients aim if you're going to focus on anything with your diet focus on your potassium intake and then because mm. it's not easy to make <laughs> to reach that nope. even that rda or the rdi depending what country you're in mm -hmm. it was a 4700 milligrams and even there's some disagreement among government agencies so <laughs> what ideal potassium is um but the, that rda is only the bare minimum we should be going for. And, right. you know, like, I think it was the Paleolithic people were known to have like what 8,000 
you know, milligrams of potassium, we can't, <laughs> I can't get that much, you know? So it's something to consider when you find some of good potassium levels or even high that maybe it's not exactly the case. Um, do you think that plays a role with even um, some of this uh, reason why some people say HTMA is not accurate because they would say, Hey, my level's good. Right? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. it, all the time. You, uh, if you're simply reading a hair analysis at face value, you're going to get things wrong. Mm-hmm. And this is why, you know, training and practice uh, is, is so essential. And even just, uh, I know, John, you're making a course right now, which I commend you for doing. Um, nothing can replace, at, at this time, nothing can replace practical experience. Exactly. Uh, get, getting the training is, is important. Uh, getting your certificate is, is step one. But then going into practice and working, you know, not with patients initially, work with your friends and family and, and practice this because... HTMA, and I, I see this too, is someone gets their certificate and, you know, next day they're out calling themselves a practitioner. Starting their business and they're now an expert. And it's like- exactly, exactly. HTMA is, is so complex. You know, uh, I don't think anyone can ever fully understand all the nuances of HTMA. It's, it's an ongoing process of learning, but it does take, uh, you know, I, I, I say it takes at least 100 uh, hair analysis analyses to analyze just to get comfortable with what you're doing. Anything below that, you're still an apprentice. <laughs> so uh, you know, I agree. Cause in our course, we, it, that was a concern of mine was book learning without practical experience. So, mm-hmm. um, trying to replicate that in our course became a real challenge. So we ended up doing case studies. So I would comment about various, you know, um, I think I did 10 or 13 different case studies where I would go through, you know, how I perceived this test, why I recommended things, but it wasn't like the, you know, the, the student learning um, their own experiential way. It was learning from someone else, you know, of what they've done and why they did it. And then what the results came back as. So we can kind of show them over a year, two years, what can happen if you do things. Um, and then, it, you know, and I've honestly even been like, you know, I just knew intuitively they needed this. And it wasn't indicated on the hair test. I was just like, mm-hmm. hey, they need this nutrient, <laughs> you know, and then it seems to pan out. And the other thing is, um, so we tried to, at least in our course, we tried to replicate a little bit of that mentorship with that. And then we also gave them actual case cases themselves. So we give them a hair test and an intake form and ask them to interpret it and, you know, type a thing up. And then we also ask them, Hey, do a supplement recommendation, you know, and we, we did it for three, but you need more than three, <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. but it was to get, so when they finish, it's not their first time doing it was kind of our goal so that it was at least their, it's not their first time working with someone and it's their mom. Right. Um, at least they would have been approved on um, something they've recommended, you know, in the past. So I've tried yeah, I think to, that's, uh, yeah, that's really important. That's one of the things that I do. I mean, I've, I've trained a lot of practitioners and uh, just even, even doing ongoing mentorship as practitioners are, are getting comfortable with, with HTMA and they'll submit to me their, their protocol. I'll review it. I'll give them my suggestions. 
Uh, and having that person to bounce ideas off of uh, is, I think, really important until you've done <laughs> a, a number of these and, and really get comfortable with it. And like you said, there's also that, that element of kind of intuition. We, we kind of start to pick up on things that uh, I, I think only come with experience, you know, uh, intuitive suggestions or intuitive understanding of what might be causing a certain pattern. Yeah, no, it's interesting. And I, I guess, um, cause we were talking about losses. We also got to consider, you know, stress, like emotional stress, physical stress mm -hmm. is a real thing. It's undeniable, but there's also that stress in the body due to chemicals or toxic metals that we might not see on that hair test. And there's lots of times I've been talking with someone. I said, look, you're going to start dumping lead or you're going to start dumping dumping this or mercury is another one because you see the low zinc, you see the low mm -hmm. selenium and you see, you know, low thyroid and you're like, there's gotta be some mercury there. You know, mm -hmm. this person ate tuna for the last, you know, <laughs> six years. Where yep. is it? Um, and then the next test, it jumps right up. And then, you know, it, it makes the, the client actually really believe you as well when you can kind of foresee the future with what's going on. But then also it's just that th like there was no indication on the test to show that, well, the level itself, if you looked at mercury or whatever one, that that was the reason why they had a high sodium or something, um, you know, so yeah, or, or low potassium, you know, blocking potassium from getting to where it needs to be. Yeah. And, and again, this goes back to what we talked about earlier about reading a test at face value. You cannot do that. So just because you don't see any toxic metals showing up in the hair does not mean that the body has no toxic metals <laughs> in the body. It's not immobilized <laughs> at that time. So if you see a zinc level at 10 or 11 milligrams percent, and, and yet mercury is not showing there's a pretty good chance that there is mercury in the system. It's just yeah. not mobilized. And sure enough, then on a retest, uh, maybe next retest or two tests down the road, you'll see that mercury pop up or aluminum or arsenic, whatever it might be. Yeah. And you know, a client then will sometimes be discouraged because they see that as, as uh, you know, a worsening of their condition. And again, this is where the practitioner has to explain, this is not necessarily a worsening of your condition. This is your body now having the ability to mobilize that metal, which is step one. Step two is getting it out of the body, but at least you're mobilizing things now. Yeah, of course. And then it, it can take, you know, sometimes years to get metals out, you know, and you are always getting exposed as well. So it's kind of like, you know, you're trying to empty a bucket that's being filled at the same time. Right. <laughs> we want to kind of encourage the elimination quicker than the utilization. And that's where we need to take advantage of nutrients and how they antagonize and protect us from toxic metals, as well as encourage the elimination. So, you know, that's one reason why I don't really like like Andy Cutler protocols or something where it's just like, take a chelator. And then they're like, oh, don't take those B vitamins. It has sulfur in it. It's like, you know how important sulfur is for detoxing? You can't just avoid sulfur you know? <laughs> and say, oh, I'm detoxing because I'm taking a, a chelator to do it. Um, and there are some cases where too much sulfur is contraindicated as well because sulfur can raise calcium and 
but that kind of takes some practice as well. Do I use a methyl donor for a slow oxidizer? Do you use them, Rick, like taurine or TMG or anything? Oh, like absolutely. That? Yeah, absolutely. Especially with something like copper, you know, that, that taurine, that sulfur, you know, acid is so important to help escort copper out of the body. You think about copper and we can talk about that next if you want. Sure. Let's copper toxicity. The primary route of copper toxicity to get out of the body is through bile. And what supports bile? Well, your sulfuric amino acids and taurine is one of those. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm uh, applying taurine pretty much with anyone with, with a blatant copper toxicity condition, I, especially if they're not, you know, if you're, if you're on a meat-based diet, you're eating lots of meat, then you're probably, there's a good chance you're, you're getting probably enough taurine, but especially if you're a vegetarian or vegan, uh, your taurine dietary intake is, is minimal at best. I absolutely no, Cause it comes from animals uh, primarily. So, yeah. um, you know, taurine, I, I guess I just want to comment quickly just on this idea of addressing a hair test completely based off nutrient interactions can cause problems as well. So if like, just, just only cause we brought up taurine and like a slow oxidizer, taurine is a methyl group. So like a sulfur and, um, sulfur can raise calcium. And some people will say, don't take anything that would raise calcium if they have a calcium shell or if they have an elevated calcium. Um, I, it seems like you're not in that camp, Rick, and I'm not in that camp either. I, I will use something even though it might be somewhat contraindicated, but it's because I have um, a reason for using it, you know, <laughs> like, um, you know, sometimes, you know, even just using actually calcium or magnesium and sometimes you can't use too much magnesium or something, but you do need it still. Um, and taurine is a good example of that. Um, or even TMG, right. Uh, yeah. really important nutrients. And the other thing is those sulfur amino acids, maybe you have some experience with this, Rick, but when you're going through copper dumps or like, um, for those that don't know what that it's basically like when your body starts to eliminate that copper that was built up in the liver or in the nervous system it can even be in the muscles and once it starts to come out usually you don't feel that great a and then b they can have a really strong mental and, and emotional connection um and using sulfur amino acids like inositol, choline, methionine, you know, taurine, even niacin can be really helpful <laughs> to um, kind of curve that copper dump symptoms. Uh, do, you, do you use it for that as well? Or is it just because you already recommend it that you don't use more? Or what do you, what's your thoughts on that, Rick? Yeah, no, I, I, I do use that. Um, I just want to comment uh, quickly on the word elimination, uh, because I find that leads to sometimes uh, a bit of misunderstanding amongst uh, people who are, are new to this. Sure. So when we think of elimination, we conjure up the image of the body, eliminating it, getting it out of the body. Yeah. Uh, and copper dumping really is not so much the elimination as it is the mobilization. Copper dumping is the mobilization of the copper out of cell and tissue into the bloodstream. And now it's mobilized. Things are dumping. Um, and then elimination is the next step is getting it out of the body. Right. Yeah. Thanks for that uh, clarification. Cause I just kind of, <laughs> you know, breeze over it a little bit, but no, you're absolutely right. It is um, like that. Mm -hmm. So in terms of the elimination aspect, yes, taurine and, and the sulfuric amino acids are, are definitely, or yes, um, sulfur compounds are, are definitely important for that. 
And it is during that dumping phase where copper is being stirred up and flowing around in the blood that the reactions typically amplify and people don't feel good. And it's going to lead to the, the heightened anxiety and the heightened panic reactions because there's that hypoglycemic reaction and it's increasing adrenaline at that same time. And adrenaline is an anxiety and panic hormone. Um, so yeah, copper dumping for, I would say most people who are truly copper toxic is not a fun experience. So again, then comes the education, you know, people feel worse initially. And if they're not taught that this is part of the process, they might give up. And likewise, just because, you know, a person feels better, uh, immediately, does that necessarily mean that they're healed? You know, Likely not. Yeah. You can drink, you know, boatloads of coffee and get a buzz and feel all, you know, revved up and stimulated and high energy. But does that mean your body is functioning optimally and you're in, you know, your energy is actually really good? No, it's a stimulant. And copper actually has a similar effect. Copper has a similar effect on the brain as deamphetamine. So then people are buying their copper supplements and getting, you know, feeling good initially. Um, and they're not being taught about copper's effect on, you know, uh, that mechanism, how it's a stimulant initially. So you have a lot of um, clients that initially come to you to feel better. And are you the one of the, I, I know I do it. I usually tell them, well, you might feel worse. <laughs> and then like in the long term, you you can feel better, but you know, once we start, um, improving the body and taking away some crutches, you might not always feel the best ever. And, you know, I say this to like, you know, even potential client, I'm a terrible salesperson. Cause I'll tell them like, you know, yes, in the long term, on a, on a program, you can feel better, but depending on your situation, I'm going to put you through hell first. <laughs> right. And you'll feel better only because of how bad you felt before. No, <laughs> no, but, but that is a thing, right? Where some of those dumping and it's to some degree, you can kind of predict it, but not always like you don't know when you're going to start dumping and then eliminating that copper. Um, and some people start dumping before their body's really able to completely eliminate. And that can yeah, exactly. cause a real yeah. challenge as well. Mm-hmm. And it's hard for us to predict that with every individual, you know? Well, you want to be support. Yeah. I mean, I see the protocols that are pushing the, the high. So well, let's go, let's go back a step. A lot of my clients, the majority of my clients, because my specialty is copper toxicity yeah. um, and I work with, well, now thousands of um, copper toxic females, a lot of them on copper IUDs. Um, that is the, the bulk of my, my clientele. Yeah. And they're, most of them are, are really struggling when they come to me with all kinds of health symptoms. Uh, the anxiety, depression, the overwhelming fatigue, exhaustion, and then gut issues, I would say would be the third thing. And then weight gain and other uh, symptoms as well. But they're feeling like they're feeling horrible. And all I want to do is feel better tomorrow. And it's not as simple as that. And, you know, uh, all the time, I, I, work with women who will have a copper IUD in their body. They take it out. And the next day, the next week they feel, they feel better. And they, 
that their body is now balanced. No, <laughs> it's not. You've simply, you know, taken a weight off your shoulder in, in the sense of you've eliminated a toxin, a toxic exposure from your body, your body's breathing a sigh of relief. Um, and inevitably, you know, a month, six months down the road, they're struggling. So this is where the HTMA comes in so importantly, because that helps you understand what's happening with the mineral system. So one of the first things that you know, we should be looking at is what are the obvious signs of elimination? Are they completely exhausted? What is their, what are their bowel movements? Are you having one bowel movement every second day? <laughs> if you are, that's a good sign. Your body is not ready to be dumping large amounts of copper mm. because it's going to be floating around and it's not going to be leaving your body. So work on of course, supporting the liver, supporting detox pathways, supporting motility, right? If you have to do a couple of weeks of some kind of a colon cleanse or taking some kind of a, you know, a laxative or something just to get things flowing and moving, maybe colon hydrotherapy as well could be employed depending. There's conditions where you wouldn't want to do that. But that's just a, a common sense thing to look at. You know, what are your bowel movements? Anybody can ask that question. I ask it almost every call every every yeah. time i have a consult with someone so what are the bowel movements like yep. you know and they often sometimes especially those new clients oh, i'm regular how, how often that, yeah. qualify how, how regular are you are you going once a week regularly are you going you know twice a day what is regular to that person because they might think it's normal to do that and i've had clients you know once they begin the program like at least the program i put together for them they're like Oh, it's a pain in the butt. I keep going poo. Like I'm going twice a day sometimes now. And it's like, it's a real burden. <laughs> you gotta be doing that. <laughs> you know, like that's a part, like it shouldn't be a pain in the butt um, to do that. Uh, but did Rick, do you find that sometimes, you know, you're not trying to cause someone to dump copper, but it still happens anyway. Cause I've had that yes. before when it's used, just give a couple of nutrients just to support metabolism. And then it's just seems like they're dumping copper. And even the next test will find even an elevated copper that wasn't there before. Um, and we didn't really try to do that. And then it's kind of like scrounging up, trying to give these things to kind of really improve, um, you know, bowel movements and all, just to ensure that it's being eliminated. Uh, that's what I find at least. Cause I don't always try to get it out and it comes out sometimes. Well, well look, I mean, you can do whatever uh, you, you do with, with uh, nutritional guidance and guide in a very gentle way in that sense. But if the client has some major stressor going on or they decide to run a marathon or intense exercise, <laughs> you know, that's, that's going to induce a dump. So it's not always what the practitioner is, is doing in terms of getting supplements. Like what is the yeah. person's stress level? What are they going through? What's the exercise, you know, um, because all those factors can induce dumping. Can I get your opinion on something, Rick? So um, there's well known in HTMA, there's kind of like a, a fork in the road where the roads divide. Um, and it seems like as the road divides in different perspectives, it keeps dividing. <laughs> so it turns into like this fractal, um, you know, division. Um, not everyone uh, uses copper as a supplement. I know you work thousands of people with copper. So I know you have a lot of experience in this. 
Do you uh, recommend clients avoid copper in their food? Um, do you use copper supplementation for those, you know, people with copper excess or copper burdens? Or do you just try and eliminate it all and antagonize? Like, no, your thoughts? no. Uh, so first of all, there is, there is no one size fits all protocol. Everybody is unique, bio-individually unique. So I will never say that this supplement, this food, everyone should take. My opinion, that's dangerous. And I see that. I see people who are copper tox. So for example, a fast metabolizer with low copper level, they might do quite well with beef liver, which is a high copper food. But if for people who are truly copper toxic, they might not be tolerating that beef liver very well. And I've seen people taking okay. beef liver because they've been told to and getting worse. So um, it's, it's a bio-individual approach. And what I tend to do, we all need copper, okay? This is also a misconception is that copper is all bad. It is not. Copper is an essential nutrient. Yeah. So there's this delicate balance between, you know, work supporting detox and detoxing copper as well as supporting the bioavailability of copper. So it should never be all about trying to just detox copper and not support the bioavailability of it or avoiding all copper foods. Someone who is copper toxic with a very overt, clear copper toxicity condition um, no, I do not suggest high copper foods. Does that need to religiously avoid everything 100% that has copper in it? Absolutely not. <laughs> Be intelligent in your, in your dietary choices. Know what's high copper, know what's not. Um, and, uh, you know, if you're maybe avoid the beef liver, maybe avoid the <laughs> dark chocolate. Okay. I just had that. Cause I know like Dr. Eck, like, you know, one of the pioneers mm -hmm. in the field, yep. he's, you know, high copper, he'd recommend copper. Um, especially if someone has had high copper or if they've been eliminating copper over a prolonged period of time, he would still suggest it. And his idea was that, well, the body just kind of dumps it all out and that it just tries to get rid of everything. And in doing that, it creates a deficiency state. So he provides some to kind of support that. So, and I know, um, Dr. Watts is very, he'll use a lot of copper as well. Um, it's, you know, those fast fours or something, you get 10 milligrams, which is a big dose um, because they're trying to change the hair test itself. Um, so that's why I asked is I know that like even the pioneers would have used copper, but that doesn't mean we have to going forward or at least be mindful on the dose if you do, or, you know, consider food first and all of this stuff. So that's why I ask Rick, it's not because, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's a charged question. It's literally, yeah, like no, it, it is a charged question. I've seen, I've seen both. I've seen okay. uh, more, more so men than women uh, experiment with pretty high dose copper and seem to be okay. Mm. Um, I've seen also clients who've been taking copper or beef liver and they feel horrible. And, you know, Dr. Rick Malter, you know, 40 years in the field, uh, working largely with copper toxic clients. Yeah. Uh, he'll agree. Copper uh, beef liver is not the, the best suited food for, uh, someone who is truly copper toxic. I'm somewhere in the middle in terms of, uh, I like me personally, I like to use uh, a product called beef organs or a blend of organs. Yeah. Uh, to when when copper is when copper is low in the HTMA, or I should say, I mean copper is commonly low in the HTMA, but in a 
fast uh, metabolizer oxidizer pattern, I'm okay with beef liver. But for a slow metabolizer, I'm I feel much more comfortable. It's it has um, safer reactions to use a blend of organs, uh, okay. such as. You know, there are beef organs products out there that have a blend. So there's still liver in the product, but it's usually at one fifth or one quarter or one sixth of the amount blended together with other organs. So it has a much more balanced ratio of copper, zinc, and iron. Okay. No, I appreciate that. Uh, you know, I've personally have had issues taking um, liver supplements, but I'm fine eating liver. And I think that it's probably to do with processing or something as well. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. You know, um, but you know, I've taken copper um as a slow oxidizer, as a fast oxidizer. Um, you know, <laughs> but it might be this masculine thing, it's a little different than the females. I've had clients where I'll try one approach, you know, and it might not work, and then I'll change to a different, you know, methodology because it just doesn't seem to be going the way that it's been expected, you know, that kind of expected things to turn. So I'm kind of in the middle too, where I'll use it sometimes, but then sometimes it's just that sometimes even that intuition, you just go, nah, let's not do that. <laughs> so, so, um, I, I guess I got another question then. Um, a lot of people talk about using whole food vitamin C cause it's got copper and what tyrosine in there. And it, mm -hmm. they say it's uh, the, the true molecule of vitamin C, um, mm. do you use that or are you open to using just ascorbic acid? Cause that can lower copper. Um, right. Quite. Yep. No, I, I, I agree with the use of whole food vitamin C. And this is another controversial topic, as you said, not everyone agrees with this, yeah. but because there is a copper molecule uh, in, in the whole uh, copper ion in the, in the whole food uh, C molecule, it is more supportive for copper. Uh, again, we're, we're considering detoxing as well as supporting bioavailability of copper. Um, if the person has a deficiency of copper, then ascorbic acid can make that worse. Uh, same thing with, uh, with oxalate issues, right? Ascorbic acid is, is generally not ideal with oxalate issues, but whole foods is tends to be better tolerated. So yes, I do use whole food C when appropriate. Okay. Yeah. Um, I rarely use it. I recommend people eat it but I rarely use well, it. Um, you sure. know. <laughs> yeah. Don't tell them to avoid vitamin C containing foods because they're pretty much stuffed if they try. Um, mm. Almost even meat has, you know, um, a form of vitamin C, dehydroascorbate. It's not technically ascorbic acid, but, you know, they're just not testing for ascorbic acid when they do analysis. So it's still there. It's just in a different form. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I would rarely use ascorbic acid except in cases of true copper toxicity. Uh, you can use ascorbic acid to help bring down copper, um, for, you know, immune function. Yes. We can all do ascorbic acid, you know, short term to boost our immune system. That that's fine. In my opinion. Um, and when people ask me, can I, can I have, you know, it's my birthday. Can I have a drink tonight? Uh, you know, can I, can I take ascorbic acid, whatever it is, what matters is the things that you are doing day in, day out, long-term. If, if, yeah. you, if you're doing something for you know, short-term, a few days for a week, it's not the end of the world. What matters are the daily habits that you develop. 
I think so. Cause we're looking on a hair test on an average of three to four months, right? not yeah. micromanaging your life every day. So mm-hmm. on average <laughs> is what you're typically doing. Not the one-off things, mm-hmm. you know? Um, Cause <laughs> I just think it's interesting that people kind of overlook that one. You know, it's like, you have to be this purest person and everything has to be perfect. And personally, I think you should be able to do some things that aren't called healthy. And I think if you can do that and not reap the wrath of it, that's a sign of health too. You know, like, I feel like if you have a bit of, you know, refined sugar and that knocks you off your horse, then I don't care how healthy you think you are. You're probably not. <laughs> like, I think humans should be able to take a little bit of stuff because, mm-hmm. you know, like, like what happens if you go for a walk beside a road and a car comes by and blows smoke in your face, is that going to like, you know, destroy your health completely. Like, I don't think health is that fragile. I think you should be able to adapt to those things and rebound very quickly. Um, so, you know, the occasional drink or whatever, I don't worry about. <laughs> exactly. You, know? you got to enjoy life too. You got to find this balance where you're still yeah. enjoying life uh, and you have the flexibility to do so. If, if a protocol is too rigid, uh, any rigid dogma, I, you know, I think uh, people, and often then rebound in the opposite direction because they simply can't handle it. And then they'll kind of rebel and, and rebound in the opposite direction. I think so. Uh, it's like they say, you tell a child, no, he's going to go. Yes. Yeah. Right. Um, so, <laughs> and not saying everyone that is childlike, but I mean, I'll admit I'll do that. If someone says don't take copper, I've, I tried it. I took 30 milligrams of copper to see what would happen. Cause you know, uh, <laughs> I've done it with every nutrient, just took a whole bunch of it just to see what its effects would be. And I felt if it, if I'm going to recommend a client take, you know, hundred milligrams of zinc, I better do it, you know, and see what, what that's going to feel like <laughs> if at least at my own personal experience. Um, so I've tried taking everything, you know, high dose boron, high dose copper. Mm-hmm. The only one I didn't do is iron. Cause I don't really like iron supplementation anyway. Do you use iron to antagonize copper at all? Uh, well, um, it can antagonize copper, but I don't use iron. No, I I'm, okay. I'm quite opposed to iron supplementation. And just in the past, um, well, few weeks, I've had two, two clients, uh, both of whom have been, um, on high dose iron supplementation one was i think 325 milligrams of um ferrous sulfate or 60 grams of elemental iron um and she's a lady in her uh 20s or 30s and then another was uh, a two-year-old toddler whose doctor had put this toddler on i believe it was 30 milligrams of 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 iron which is just that's a big uh, dose for a little it is it, it is the epitome of, of negligence, in my opinion, to to do that to a two-year-old kid. Um, and not surprisingly, the majority of his symptoms and this other lady, um, there's both their symptoms uh were quite reflective of zinc deficiency, which is not surprising because we know more than 25 milligrams of iron is going to impair your zinc. Mm-hmm. So this two-year-old toddler, most toddlers are born zinc deficient to begin with, being put on high-dose iron for his age, depleting his zinc, causing uh, a whole range of health issues. And same thing with this uh, young lady. So no, uh, iron, I believe, is being given <laughs> uh, without looking at what is the 
you know, underlying cause, if, if you are diagnosed as anemic, you know, it's, it's the, the fad word, you know, you're anemic. What is the underlying cause of that? And unless you have ongoing, really heavy bleeding or you're a vegan, aside from that, there is very little reason for a person to be anemic. It's an issue to do with iron metabolism and that's got to be supported first. I agree. Um, and you know, I've, I always say, cause like, I, I don't like using it. If, if I, any giving any mineral gives me anxiety, it's iron. <laughs> like, and I've had to do it honestly in the past. I just had to, because we've tried and exhausted all other means and it was like, okay, let's try it. And then as soon as the person started taking iron, they started feeling nauseous. They started having a lot of issues with cramping and digestive issues and all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like, I know what it is. It was the iron, right? And that's one reason we don't like recommending it. Um, but then, you know, I've had to, rec- I've had to recommend, like in some cases of pregnancy, um, near that last trimester, the baby starts taking a lot of the woman's blood. They didn't have good, you kind of get in a rock and a hard place as a practitioner and things like that. Um, so I have used it in the past and recommended it. Um, but even then, sporadic use, you know, you don't have to take 30 you know, 40, 60 milligrams every day, take it occasionally. It's still going to bump your overall thing. And and on average, you'll have a higher iron intake. Right. Um, but yeah, I've had to, I've had to use it. Um, just have to be honest. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, and like anything, whether it's iron, whether it's copper, zinc, magnesium, whatever it is, understand that all these minerals have, uh, interactions with other minerals. So if you're taking iron, then maybe it's wise to add in a little extra zinc because they, they antagonize each other. Yeah. So if you're maybe not at the same time though, Hey, sorry, it would maybe not at the same time because they might block it. Who knows? Of of course, of course. Yeah. I mean, timing, the the timing of the day matters as well. Um, But during pregnancy, the woman's zinc level is, is also dropping, right? So if you're taking on during pregnancy, you've got to be mindful of, you know, of not making that natural zinc deficiency even worse. Worse. Yeah. Then that zinc deficiency opens the door for copper to increase. I agree. I agree. Flat out agree. Um, you know, I was thinking, cause we have a newborn, um, that like a lot of the creams that they would use for like a rash or something have mm-hmm. zinc, in it. zinc in them. Um, exactly. It's very small yes. amount. It's only in a little mm-hmm. dab you use or whatever, but um, it was interesting to me. Cause I was thinking like, you know, children on milk, which is milk is classically quite low in zinc. Um, maybe nature intended that, you know, we can't always override, <laughs> like assume that they're vitamin D deficient. So give them vitamin D and all of this. But um, it just got me thinking a little bit about how we use some zinc supplements and like, you know, even transdermally or something where as you get older, those things kind of go away as well. It's not like people regularly put zinc, you know, moisturizer on them. They'll usually use just whatever they use, which probably doesn't have zinc in it. Right. Um, so what happens I think is like this lack of consumption. And I know when I grew up, I went vegetarian because of the ethical reasons. Um, and you know, I was, I was one of those people that thought I could get zinc from food as a vegetarian. So I used to go out of my way and eat ants. So ants were hot. They're black foods. They're high in zinc. Right. Um, I'll tell you, my first hair, you wouldn't think I was getting any zinc. <laughs> I'm sorry, you ate ants 
as a vegetarian? Did I miss something there? Yeah. Yeah. I ate ants. So I wasn't like a vegan. It was like, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd eat egg, I'd have milk and dairy product and I would eat ants. So, um, and cricket was kind of like, I would do it, but it, they didn't taste that nice. Um, hmm. so <laughs> they were efforts, you know, of like when you go to an extreme, how far more extreme you have to be to get something. And I was a whole foodist. I was like, Oh, I don't need the supplement. You know, I can get it from food. Couldn't, you know, so now I, you know, happily will take at least for me and this is a little different for every person, but I easily go up to hundred milligrams of zinc and um, I don't have any issues at all when I take a dose like that, except, you know, in small doses throughout the day. Whereas I've had clients like my wife, you know, not like she's my client. Well, kind of, I mean, I do her programs, but um, you know, when I first recommended her zinc, she couldn't do 25 milligrams. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so I guess you would find that in your practice too. People that can't take all the time, a dose all the time. Even guys can better. generally, yeah, guys can generally tolerate a lot more zinc than women. You know, if we're taking fifty milligrams or hundred milligrams, it's usually not a big deal for guys. Uh, for women, I I rarely would ever recommend more than twenty five. Uh, I would usually start off around ten or fifteen milligrams. Uh, and it zinc, I call one of the more volatile minerals when it comes to supplementation, just because the reactions are so individual. That's not to say that zinc should be ignored. And, and I, I, you know, I've, I've heard, you know, not even to, you know, worry about zinc and, and that's just utter nonsense. Uh, zinc is, is imperative, uh, for so many things, uh, including keep, keeping copper in balance. Yeah. Um, but, uh, in terms of tolerance, uh, some people and, and women, some women can tolerate 25 milligrams, no problem at all. And some cannot even tolerate five milligrams or even 2.5 milligrams. It's that extreme where you're literally dabbing a wet fingertip into a, you know, an open capsule and then licking this zinc off your fingertip. And that's all you can tolerate. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's a very individual and volatile mineral in the sense of tolerability. So, um, start, start low dose and gradually work your way up. I agree. Um, and I mean, I'm quick to recommend a high dose, but I say that to every person start low and then build your dose. Even with any program I put together, mm-hmm. at least, if I recommend to take things three times a day, I can't micromanage everything on a piece of paper of, you know, start this, that, and then do the, it gets chaotic and confusing. So I usually just mm-hmm. say, start with the time slot or one or two products on in a time slot in mm-hmm. the morning, start taking something and then see how you go for a bit and build it in. And, yep. um, cause the reality is doesn't matter how experienced you are, you know, um, at least in my experience, doesn't matter how experienced you are. We can't predict how someone's going to respond to mm-hmm. a program. Exactly. Even if we have seen this exact same pattern on a hair test a hundred times, yep. you know, it's so individual. Very true. So, yeah. um, all right. So I guess I wanted to just bring up a little bit about, um, some of the work you've done in HTMA. So you've done what coppertoxic.com. Um, you've done the HTMA virtual summit. Um, so you're really trying to move the field in a new direction. Ooh, not in a new direction, just uh, maintain the integrity of HTMA because I see it uh, being uh, quite, yeah, it's, it's being led astray by different forms of HTMA that I do not feel are really supportive of 
the field of HTMA in general. Uh, and that includes the over-automation of reports or just relying on, you know, again, yeah, the relying on over-automation. Mm -hmm. uh, different, different types of HTMA that often don't follow prop, like even at the lab, don't follow proper testing protocol. See, some HTMA is more focused on toxic metals. And then we talk about, well, is the lab washing the hair sample or are they, or are they not washing the hair sample? And if they're not washing the hair sample, or regardless of what they do, it's not likely to affect the toxic metals. So if that is the focus of the HTMA, then you can work with whatever lab you want to. But if the yeah, focus on nutritional hair analysis, which is you know relevant in this conversation with minerals like copper and zinc and whatnot, you want a lab that is not ideally washing the hair sample and follows all proper testing protocol. And the ARL lab and the TEI lab are the two that have advanced this field the furthest and follow you know all proper testing protocol. Um, and there is, it's very easy to, I think, attack HTMA when tests are misinterpreted, when HTMA is combined with all kinds of, you know, woo-woo angles and you bring in, you know, all kinds of controversial theories about weird concepts i'm not even going to mention them here but i know it's it's been going on now for several years and well incorporating religion i think it messes it it's spiritual yeah it's religion like sexual preferences politics alien stuff spirituality i mean yeah. if we want hgma to be accepted clinically we need to stick to the science and that is the focus uh and, and that's the reason why uh for many years or for several years i was um we would get together. This is prior to COVID. Uh, myself, Dr. Karen von Mermot-Bivara, uh, Dr. Rick Malter, uh, Rachel Newman, uh, several of us uh, would get together annually um, down in Sedona. And we were planning to launch a, a live uh, event uh, for uh, teaching HTMA to practitioners. And then COVID hit. So we switched direction and we ended up, um, myself and Lisa patel uh, Akila, we decided to create the um, virtual summit. Mm -hmm. So uh, annually, we we run the HTMA virtual summit. You're one of our our speakers, which we're grateful to have you. Uh, and it's just about bringing the you know the real science and the real experience um, back to HTMA, where people can learn about minerals, about HTMA, um, keeping the integrity of this field uh, intact. I think it's very important. Uh, and then, yes, I do HTMA in clinical practice as well. Um, I, I mentor practitioners in this field. So, yes, <laughs> I'm well versed in this uh, mineral. And I teach the Mineral Mastery course as well. So the Mineral Mastery yeah. course, uh, is the found, is a, it's a foundational education for anybody interested in learning about minerals. You, you, it's difficult to talk about minerals without HTMA, though, right? So I do... Yeah teach about HTMA, but it's not an HTMA focused course. Okay. Right. Uh, and that's one of the things that, that you're adding is your course is quite focused on HTMA. Um, but the mineral mastery course brings a lot of unique insight into the foundational aspects of mineral uh, related health, uh, reasons for imbalance and whether you're a practitioner or just 
in the general public wanting to improve your health. That's what mineral mastery is, is about teaching. Cool. Yeah. Cause I remember, geez, it must've been like at least 10 years ago. And I know I'm a young guy, but I started off with minerals pretty early. <laughs> I was fortunate enough to go to a few seminars and learn a thing or two when I was young. Cause my mother was really into health as well. Um, but it must've been about 10 years ago when I first learned probably more, um, when I first learned about vitamins and minerals and the effect that they can have on people's livelihood and quality of life. And every time I tried to bring it up to other practitioners, you know, or anything that talked to a naturopath, when I was a kid, I'd call up a naturopath's office and just be like, you know, let's talk for a bit. I want to know what you do and what, you know, and uh, cause I w- thought about being one. I thought about doing, you know, Cairo. I thought I went to, I called them all up <laughs> and talked to them. But when I called them up and I asked them about vitamins and minerals, they're like, Oh yeah, they're important, but our practice doesn't focus. We're really on like mm-hmm. hormones and using progesterone and stuff. And it was like, I thought they were just missing something like minerals is like <laughs> critical. Like you're made of minerals. How are you going to overlook what you're made of minerals <laughs> regulate your hormones exactly um so you know i really appreciate you doing work on educating about minerals and, and it's not an easy task because like where do you start um you know when people say oh minerals are essential we're not saying like oh they're critical they're very important we're saying like you can't live without them. Um, they are essential to life, but people kind of just overlook that word. You know, they're like, Oh yeah, they're important. Like, no, (laughs) you got it all wrong. You see, like, you know, you can't live without them. Uh, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I find that unless somebody is a practitioner with a, you know, a deep interest in learning or, unless somebody is struggling with a significant health condition and somehow they've been led to connect the dots uh, to the underlying mineral imbalance. Most other people, they just, their eyes glaze over. If you say minerals are important. Oh yeah. I take a multivitamin. (laughs) I've had, I've had clients that are like working with other practitioners. It's really common when you work with chronic health conditions and they go, Oh, I'm working with a practitioner on my thyroid. We're taking ashwagandha. And I'm like, great, you know, ashwagandha is really helpful for adrenal, really helpful for thyroid. What are you doing nutritionally to support this? Mm -hmm. You know, oh, I'm taking mold binders and I'm taking this. And it's like, but are you- your iodine, your selenium, (laughs) your manganese, your zinc? They all play a role. Exactly. And I'm like, geez, you got to be, they have to be there. Like, Mm -hmm. um, they don't come from nowhere. You know, I don't care how advanced meditator you are. You can't conjure up minerals uh, i know that there's breatharians that say they can but i don't think so um <laughs> yeah well you know i mean i i've worked in my client base i've worked with everyone from the, the sickest of the sick to champion athletes nutritionists dietitians uh people who have all the tools in their toolkit functional diagnostic nutritionists they all have supposedly the tools in their toolkit to eat and live healthy and yet a lot of them have symptoms. Even the elite, uh, my elite clients have symptoms and they all, they all have mineral imbalances. So yeah. to think that just by eating healthy and doing everything right, you're going to have a balanced mineral system is wishful thinking. I think so. You know, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> uh, yeah, I really feel that the, the mineral aspect to health and nutrition is one of the, well, it, it, I would say it's the most overlooked 
and yet important aspect to health and nutrition. I think Yeah. I think minerals are more important than vitamins because you need minerals for vitamins to work. Exactly. Um, So even sometimes, you know, people are like, get concerned. Oh, how do you discern better thiamine deficiency? And I'm like, well, I want to make sure that their adrenal function is working in general, not just thiamine, not just vitamin B2, not just vitamin B5. I'm like, so in my practice, and I'll speak for myself, Rick, because I don't know entirely about what you do. um, But um, I, I like to recommend nutrients in general, and then do a kind of mineral balancing approach. So um, I don't want a client of mine to be deficient in vitamin C. I don't want a client to be low in B1, B2, any of them. I make sure you're getting at least the RDA. And then I'll do the other stuff because especially if you're working with chronic people with chronic health issues, and if their minerals are in balance, they're likely deficient in multiple vitamins as well. So uh, I don't care if they're four lows and you know, for low pattern, people often say, don't give B vitamins. So too stimulating. Sometimes a little bit is needed, I think at least, and I will provide them, um, you know, what I've, you know, and sometimes, especially that for low case, and I mentioned this just because I know that there's different camps that are approaching it, but, um, you know, people often use sedative nutrients, calcium, magnesium, zinc. I find that there's two different situations there where some are depleted, and they honestly just need to like put the adrenals to bed, like Dr. X says, and put them to sleep. Um, not like a vet, but like, you know, <laughs> make them tired. And then there's the other group that are just so depleted. They don't have the nutrients to actually have energy anymore. So sometimes I'll give, you know, for low pattern, a little bit of B vitamins and then slow them down. And uh, for others, just, and this comes from, a conversation. This doesn't come from a mathematical equation on a hair test. You know, <laughs> this pattern equals this dose. Um, it, it's, Hey, we need to give some more B vitamins regardless of the hair test and, you know, support your body's ability to recover. Um, you know, <laughs> so, uh, I'm kind of like in the middle. So, you know, I think minerals are so important that I'll recommend them, even if it's somewhat contraindicated sometimes on the hair test. Um, all right. Um, do you have any like shout outs before we uh, end this conversation? I think it was fantastic. Um, yeah, I would just encourage everyone listening, whether you're a practitioner or just general public to uh, dive deeper into this mineral world and HTMA, learn as much as you can. Um, you know, I want to say, you know, take John's course, take my course. Um, John, yours is coming out when? Uh, early next year? We're hoping next um, in 2023. Uh, mm-hmm. Our course is done. It's just, you know, the, the, there's a little bit of errors on slides. And, and in the beginning, I had microphone issues and camera issue. And so, like, like the content's done. It's just redoing it all over again with one fine tooth comb to make sure that everything is good. Because, um, I feel to be honest, at least with my course, um, is that I felt like there was a need for a more in-depth on hair testing and not just hair testing. We go into, you know, the principles and philosophy of natural medicine, which is, 
I think your principles and your philosophy guide your whole practice. So I was, to me, it has to be a part of your perspective when you learn HTMA, because if you come from it thinking replacement therapy is the best, or if you come from it thinking reductionism, bring it down to the single things is the best. Um, that's going to affect your practice down the road. And so we wanted to kind of at least educate you or our students on what, you know, at least the natural perspectives are. It's up to you if you can believe them, you know, <laughs> we're not like dogmatic, but it's at least bring them to the table and talk about holism and this kind of stuff. And then we did um, a, a, like a, a separate course on like nutrition and we just covered the foundations of nutrition. You know, what does berry berry look like? And do we see it in clinical practice? We might not find the diagnosis, but we still find people deficient in B vitamins, um, you know, and, you know, if you have a client like dermatitis and diarrhea um, and their memories going um i would be considering vitamin b3 you know regardless of the hair test let's kind of support that um and we talk about the limitations of symptoms and the limitations of the test as well um, and we still encourage people to keep going after our course which is a hundred and something hours i think it was 150 hours of recorded information to keep going and learning because life is about learning you know you can't just stop and just be like all right i'm an expert uh i'm still learning i'm forever reading textbooks on vitamins and minerals pubmed articles you know um reading rick stuff um your articles watching your stuff watching other practitioners in the field to see what they are coming up with um so i really you know keep learning as you said rick it's just a this is the way of life absolutely yeah um and so the mineral mastery course which i teach at mineralmastery.com uh this as i said is a course for both practitioners as well as the general public uh, going deep into the minerals, reasons why we have mineral imbalance, uh, you know, things like zinc deficiency, which is so often overlooked, and the myriad reasons why zinc is important and why we have imbalances with zinc. And same with magnesium and, and copper, especially. I mean, I am the copper guy. So this course is the, the, the fundamental course for learning about copper toxicity. Yeah. Uh, anybody dealing with copper toxicity, uh, this course can be life-changing. Uh, and honestly, John, like when I, I've had, I've had two mothers now, well, one mother uh, with, with the morgue situation where her daughter was told there's no such thing as copper toxicity, uh, was on a copper IUD, killed herself. Um, and then the mother went to the morgue to collect the hair sample and the hair sample showed sky high copper. Now, if, if the denial of copper toxicity uh, didn't exist and people were educated in this information, we could literally be saving lives. So I'm very passionate about getting this information out there and helping support uh, young women, especially with this vital health knowledge. You're doing a great job, especially with your website, coppertoxic.com. Uh, I go to it. I send clients to it, especially the, as soon as I get a test and it comes back with high copper, <laughs> immediately go check out that website, you know? Um, well, so, thank you, sir. Uh, yeah. I, I could like, probably, I could probably add some updates to it. It's, it's, you know, several years old now, but the, uh, the, this is the way yeah, it's yeah. always that way you learn. And then, you know, it takes a little while for it to reach the websites. It's also another reason well, why it's great to work with you or work with a practitioner because they don't always have time to upload the website update the website that's the thing right it's just it's just time i don't have the time right now to be uh tweaking the website but uh yeah 
course goes through it in a very easy to understand way because the yeah. copper talk site is you know there's a lot of information there that you know can be overwhelming so i, I teach things in a step-by-step -step progression easy to understand connection between minerals and vitamins connection between minerals and toxic metals and how understanding the mineral imbalance helps you understand toxic metals how to detox those toxic metals um, all of that so one thing that in terms of shout outs john um, i will simply mention this for your listeners um, I've created a, a special uh, deal for your listeners in the podcast. Uh, it's an extremely original promo code, uh, podcast30, and you'll save 30% on the Mineral Mastery course. So at mineralmastery.com, at checkout, uh, promo code podcast30 mm -hmm. to save 30%. Cool. Thanks. Uh, that's awesome. I did not know that was coming. So that's awesome for you. Um, and, you know, we're going to put that links and all that in uh, on our webpage so that you or anyone else can find it. And um, no, that, that's fantastic. Thanks for that, Rick. You're welcome. All right. Well, I'm going to call it a day and thanks for joining us. Hopefully we can have another chat sometime in the future. Um, it was a real pleasure. Thanks for having me, John. Thank <laughs> you.